Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. All that stuff you've done, violation of God's commandment, God's law, if you die like that, you'll go to hell. But God loves you so much that he said, I'll take all your sins. He took all of it upon himself. And when he went to the cross, he went to the cross with your sins, my sins, on his back. And he was beaten, humiliated, shamed, hung on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins, right? And as we are taken to the cross and we look at what he did, it's from that place, God said, look, suck with some of you, right? You used to be these things, but you were washed. I washed you. Jesus washed us. No believer is in a place to look down on a sinner. Every single one of us came from that same place and there's nothing we've done that we can boast about. It's all Christ. He made the change in us and he wants to make the same change in every lost soul. As Pastor Bill will challenge us in today's message, we need to look at others with the grace we've been given. Even if you know a person's living a lifestyle that goes directly against God, he died for them and they have amazing potential in him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. If God moves in, you can't be the same. He's going to clean up some stuff. He's going to start kicking out stuff and revealing things, give you new desires and new passions, and you realize that God is just not up there saying, don't do, don't do, don't do. God is saying, let's clean that up and stop that because I got something for you to do that you can't do while you're doing that. And for some people, as they're clinging to the junk over here, they never become what God saved them to be. They're over here holding on to the old life instead of letting it go and saying, God, here, have me, have my, have all of me and, and getting getting in touch with what God, what did he saved me for. If you're saved, that's one of the things we go through in the discipleship. We look at what salvation is, what you're saved from. And the last thing we go through on the, the salvation section is what you're saved for. You know, I would say from Two, but I've been saved four, and it's so important that we get there. I haven't, God didn't just tell me, Bill, stop fornicating, stop getting drunk, stop this. So I stopped everything, and then now I'm just, I'm just sitting in the middle, sitting all, because now I got a wife for you, I got a ministry for you, and I got a purpose and a calling, and all these things, and none of these things work with that. And so for anybody here holding on, consider what you're missing out on as you hold on to the junk. As you hold on to the junk, you cannot have what he intends to give you. Uh, he needs you to let it go so he can do what he desires to do in your life. And if we trust that we believe that God is really good and that God really loves us and he really has our best interests and he really knows everything, it should be really easy to let go of the things that he says no, that we might receive the things that he has for us. Amen. And so moving forward, now look at verse 11. And I love this verse. You should highlight it, underline it, mark it in your Bible. Uh, I love this verse. It says this. And such were as he's gone through this whole list of things that you can't inherit the kingdom, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, drunkards, extortioners, all these things. He says, and such were some of you, some of you that I'm taught. That's what you used to be. Such were some of you. But and I want you to get the order. and We're going to talk about it. You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus, by the spirit of our God. So he says, look, such were some of you. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were drunkards and extortioners and idolaters. And all, some of you were all these things, he says, but this is what we should be looking for in the life of believers. Look what it says. 
First, but you were washed. Believers, what are we washed in? The blood of Jesus that washes away our sins, that cleanses us, right? As we believe, as we look to the cross and say, Jesus died on the cross for me. He took my sins upon himself, the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news. If the gospel was just stop doing this, stop doing this, and stop doing that, that wouldn't be good news. The gospel is this, right? All that stuff you've done, violation of God's commandment, God's law, if you die like that, you'll go to hell. But God loves you so much that he said, I'll take all your sins. He took all of it upon himself. And when he went to the cross, he went to the cross with your sins, my sins, on his back. And he was beaten humiliated, shamed, hung on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins, right? And as we are taken to the cross and we look at what he did, it's from that place. God said, look, for some of you, right? You used to be these things, but you were washed. I washed you. Jesus washed us. And this is, the, this is, the, this is an amazing thing for every believer, right? As he washed me, I'm no longer under the guilt and shame of what I used to be. I don't deny what I used to be and I don't deny my testimony. I don't deny the things I've done, but I've been washed, right? I'm no longer dirty in God's sight. Now, it might take people a while to catch up, but as far as God is concerned, I've been washed. And everybody here, whatever your past may have been, when you come to Christ, God says you're washed, right? Your sins, as far as God is concerned, as far as the East is from the West, they won't be remembered anymore. God's not gonna bring it up in another conversation. They're gone. You are washed. That's what Jesus did for everybody that believes in him. Washed us. Notice he doesn't stop there, right? We don't just get washed. After we've been washed, then he says sanctify. What is that? That's the process for the rest of your life as a believer. The sanctification process is God bringing us forward in our walk. And this is the step that people, I think, that are not saved, that maybe have had some church experience, fail to realize that if this isn't happening, you might not be you know, say now I hate that some churches say I'm saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and we can make it mean something else. This is sanctification is it's growing in holiness. It's God on the inside. It's the sanctified is actually being set apart by God for God. He does that from the inside out. God's I'm set you apart. You belong to me now. And as he moves inside you by way of the Holy Spirit, God, because you're his and he's sanctifying you. It's a process. And this is how it works. You get saved, God moves in, and you begin to be convicted about things you used to didn't be convicted about. Um, and I've shared with you guys so many times my testimony, but God will convict you. And now the conviction will cause you to feel about your sin the way God feels. This thing that I used to love, now as I think about doing it or I fail and do it, I'm miserable about it. And now I hate it at a point. And God said, great, now you feel about it the way I feel about it. Now you'll finally bring it to me and repent of it. And it'll happen over and over again where you begin to be just, man, I'm sick of that thing. I hate that thing that I do. And God's like, yes, I hate it too. I hate to bring it to me. And then you bring it to God. You're begging God to help you and you're repenting. You're praying. You're reading your word. And you find that, man, you get distanced from that. That's sanctification. And then there'll be a new thing. And there'll be another thing. And there'll be another thing. And as you keep going through the process of sanctification, you'll look back and you won't be the same man or the same woman. Still a work in progress, but you are not the same and you'll never be the same, nor can you be. And so when someone says, I've been saved 15 years and I'm looking on, you got worse. <laughs> I've been backsliding. You can't backslide that long. You can't, I'm, I hope I help somebody out with that. Some people that are really not saved, one of the things that they like, I'll just backslid. No, you've been practicing sin for 10 years. You weren't saved. If you had died in that space, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have made it on the backslide plan. 
You were never redeemed. You weren't born again. You, you practice sin. You fall under Galatians 5. You fall under, you're practicing it. You ain't going to heaven like that. When did you repent? When did you turn? I don't care how many times you went down the altar, prayed a prayer, or mentally acknowledged. When did you change? When did God move in and start to change you? It's not happened yet. And so when you look back and see that, I'm telling you, you, ain't, you can't backslide that long and belong to God. You can't. You know, well, you know, and sometimes I would get bothered. I would remember the stuff from church. No, that's, that's in your mind, right? When did your heart change? When did you say, I hate this? I, I can't do this anymore. I repent of it. That didn't happen. I'm saying you, you need to come to the Lord with fresh faith and say, God, save me. Save me. Save me. Enter into me. I want to be set apart by you and for you. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I just, you know, you, 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 you I, I just hear that a lot of times from people that, will just go on and they feel comforted. I'm just backsliding. You know, like it's not that, but you know, everybody backslides sometimes. I'm just backsliding. You've been backsliding a long time. I mean, have you ever front slid? I wonder, you know, so <laughs> don't be comfortable there, right? That's, a, that's, that's another place where I think people get misled. Um, God says you were washed, then you were sanctified. I kind of moved in and I started cleaning up stuff and I, I started moving things around. You were sanctified, and they said, but you were justified. This is the awesome thing. Justified. It's, it's being, um, some people say that it's just as if I never sinned, right? My position before God, I'm justified because of what God has done for me. Uh, that means that that, and that, that's, that brings a believer into a place of confidence. I know I belong to him. I know that when I stand before him one day, I'm justified. Not because of what I've done, but because of what God has done for me. Justified. Verse 12. So we in verses one through eight, we were taking the court verses nine through 10. We were taking the task about the sins that will not you can't do them in the the kingdom. And chapter 11, we're taken to the cross as we are gone to the cross. God does these things. He washes us, sanctifies us and he justifies us. And it says in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God, it's in Jesus name. And it's by the spirit of God that we're washed, sanctified and justified. And in verse 12 which is, is another critical verse. And I, I, I wrote, taking you to freedom. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. I'm sorry. Yeah. Verse 12. I said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Right. And Paul is saying, look, I know I'm not under the law. I'm a Christian free. All things are lawful. I can do whatever I want, but all things are not helpful or beneficial. All things are not going to help me be the man God wants me to be. So all things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of anything. Paul said, look, I can do whatever I want, but I won't do things that have the potential to bring me under their power. And so we should all consider ourselves. And as believers, we're no longer to be under the power of anything other than the Holy Spirit. We're to be governed by God and under his power. And if something else has power over you, you, you want to recognize that as, as not correct, right? Nothing should have power over you except God. He, 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 he's the only one that has rights to that power. So Paul says, look, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. And so here we need to be careful how we lose our, use our liberty. Like I said, there's some believers that are like, is that okay? Can I do that? Can I do that? How much can I do? How much can I do? And they, they want to get as close to the line. Sometimes in talking to couples that are engaged, would you have to warn engaged couples? Don't do. Don't 
sex together. Don't, don't, don't. Well, well, can we, can we, can we hold hands? Can we hug? Can we cuddle? Can we caress? Can I pet her? Can I this? Can I? And it's like, look, why you want to? When are y'all getting married? Get a date, right? Get a date. Get it in the calendar, and then just wait for that date, and you can do all with no limits and restrictions. But until then, it would behoove you to stay away from the line. Don't be all up on the line and then be like, I don't know how we fell. Was you in the room? Was it dark? Was you alone? We was gonna pray, you know. Like it just you just you don't set yourself up to fail. And so all things are lawful, but I won't be brought under the power of anything. Christians have to be wise in how we use our liberty. That our liberty doesn't bring us into bondage. There are people that are expressing their liberty for alcohol. Um, there's a pastor that I know, and their particular church uh, takes the stance that it's all right to drink and. We don't want we don't we don't want to make anybody feel bad about it. And so one of the pastors um, enjoying his liberty to have a drink, had too many drinks, happens to ride a motorcycle, has a son and they leave wherever he was drinking. And he fell on the motorcycle with his son and was arrested pastor of the church. And it brought shame on the congregation. Obviously, he hurt himself. Thank God his son only got a little scratch on his knee. Um, and it's like, man, that wasn't a wise use of that liberty. And it just wasn't wisdom, you know, because if, if you had exercised your liberty to say, I won't, I have the freedom to not. That's what people don't realize. When I think of Christian liberty, when I wasn't saved, I was in bondage to alcohol. Right. My body demanded it and I had to do it. I was in bondage to it. Now I'm saved. And God's like, look, you have a choice now. I've given you the liberty to never drink again. That's the liberty that people out there don't have. You have the liberty to never do it again. And so we got to be careful how we use our liberty. Don't let your liberty bring you right up on the line. Let your liberty walk you far away from it, that you might walk in freedom from sin. And so, again, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Don't use your liberty in a way that brings you into bondage when God is trying to set you free. Amen. Last section here, 13 through 20. God has taken our bodies. And I'm going to read, a, read it in chunks. Verse 13, food, foods for the stomach and the stomachs for food, but God will destroy both it and them. So he's giving us this parallel here. Why did God create food? Because he knew we were going to need to eat it. Why did God give you a stomach? Because it was going to need food, nutrition to live. He's just saying these two things were created for each other. I created food for your stomach. I created your stomach to receive food. I made these two things to go together. And he says all of that to give us this contrast now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord is for the body so he's saying again this issue in the crazy your body just like food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food your body is for the lord not for sexual immorality and, and within the corinthian church their bodies were being used in a sexually moral way um, we talked in detail last week about what that meant so sexual immorality can cover fornication adultery uh, we talked about pornography, masturbation, any form of sexual dealings outside of marital, husband, wife, you know, relations, sexual immorality. Um, Paul, Paul says your body's not for that. It's for the Lord. Um, your body is for God. My body is for the Lord. Verse 14, God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Uh, speaking of the, the that our bodies are going to be resurrected the same way he raised up Jesus. We're going to be raised up to be with him. Verse 15. This is the fourth. Do you not know 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. He says, do you don't you know that your body is a member of Christ? You're part of Jesus. And every Christian here needs to think about that. Um, wherever you go, you're taking the Lord with you. What you watch, the Lord's watching. What you listen to, the Lord's listening to it. What you're doing with your body when you go out, the Lord's doing that. You're taking him with you. Um, he's, we can't really go without the Lord. He goes everywhere I go. So he says here, you know, if you take your body and, and come, you know, become, have a harlot, have, have sex with somebody, he says, do you, you, you're, do you then make your, make your, I'm sorry, do you, do you then, do you take your, the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Do you join with a harlot? The, the next, do you not know, verse five, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So, you know, when you come together with someone in a symbol, you become one with them. Right. That's how come God said sex is to be reserved for marriage. Um, sex within marriage is one of the things that brings people together. It, it's there's I don't want to give a biological lesson to y'all, but you come together in a physical way, in a spiritual way and even in a chemical way. Your bodies become one. Um, your bodies receive each other and accept each other. So, God, when you become one with a heart, you become one with a harlot. And some people are out there just becoming one with multiple people over and over again. Guys, you become one with them. You're making me, you're joining me with a harlot. God don't want that. And he's just reminding us here that like, I, don't, I can't just do what I want with my body. It's not mine anymore. How come my body is not mine? Who's my body belong to? And how did he take ownership? How did that happen? When the exchange take place? That's the next section here, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Real quick, God says that all the sins you do are outside the body, but sexual immorality is one sin that you do. You do it with your body, but he says it's, it's the one thing that you do that you sin against your own body. How is that? Um, I believe in, in a few different ways. I believe as people come together in sexual sin, one, you, you warp. You, God has created us a certain way to enjoy things a certain You warp what God has really created you to be able to enjoy. Um, and so you're, you're sinning against yourself. You're sinning against, you're taking your body that belongs to Christ and hopefully will belong one day to your husband or your wife and you're, you're using it in a way that you're going to rob yourself. You're actually sinning against yourself. Um, some people look at this and think that it's, it's dealing with uh, STDs and diseases that you could catch and everything else. That's possibly, you know, that that may be part of it, that you can bring things into your body to do a damage. But even if you never catch a disease, if you go around living in sexual immorality, um, you'll find that you've you've hurt your body. You've hurt yourself. You've sinned against your own self. And that's how some people that are, are, are living that way. It, it messes up marital relationships. Um, it, it, it messes up that which should be normally enjoyable. It ruins it um, because you're doing all kind of weird things. God says you sin against your own body. And I, I won't go much further on that, but I would just suffice it to say it's enough for me that it says if you live in sexual morality, you ain't going to heaven. But God says it's, it's really ruining a lot of things. You're joining me to someone that I don't want to be joined to, that I'm not one with. But you get a husband and a wife that are both one in Christ come together. God, says, I was already one with them. Right. We're just joining each other together. That's, that's a blessing. But when you got someone joining a believer, joining Christ with harlot or someone that they're having intercourse with God, that's not that's not. That's not what I created you for. I created your body for me. Last section, 19. 
Or do you not know, last one, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Last thing here, Paul tells him, says, do you not know that your body is? And we talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that your body is God's house. Um, when it says you're the temple of God, it's actually speaking in the Old Testament. God, the holy in the Holy of Holies was, was where, where God's presence dwelt in power in the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could only go in once a year on Yom Kippur um, to deal with the sins of the people. God says your body has become that you're the Holy of Holies. Your body is where God dwells. And so he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? He lives in you whom you have from God. He says this. You are not your own. And we have to be reminded of that because some of us would say, I gave my life to Christ. But if we look at the way that you live your life, it looks like, man, it looks like you gave it like you took it back. I mean, you gave it to him at some point, did you? But you look like the way you're living it right now, looks like you took back ownership because the way you're living is not under his lordship. The things that you're doing, the things you're practicing, the way you live, the way you speak is not it's not under his lordship. Give your life back to the Lord. Um, it should our life should look a certain way when it's been given to God. So he says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. Do you accept that about your life? That it's not yours belongs to God. He says in the last verse 20, for you were bought at a price and you need to know that you weren't cheap. I wasn't cheap. I cost him everything. God, the father gave his only begotten son for me. Right. He gave his son. Jesus gave himself for you. I was bought at that price, the price of the blood of Jesus. Um, that's what it cost. The cross didn't just happen for nothing. Sin had to be dealt with. There, the, God's righteous judgment had to be put upon sin. And so the curse of sin was put upon Jesus and he paid him full. He took the full wrath of our sins and he died for them. Three days later, he defeated death and rose from the grave. But when God says that you were bought. So, 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 so now that I understand that who I am, I've been purchased by God. God, I've taken your body. I've taken up residence in your body. I possess you, right? We look at demonic possession, demons taking over people and possessing them. God, I possess you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. I possess your body, your life. I want to, I want to shine through it for my glory. He says, therefore, this is what you should do. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his anyway. The goal of the Christian life is that we would glorify God. And I would challenge all of us to look at how we're living, what we're doing from week to week. And are you glorifying God with your life? Because God said, I bought you. I purchased you. And, and we know explicitly here one thing that God desires. I bought, God, what do you want to do? You purchased me for what? What do you want to do? I want to be glorified through your life. I purchased you that I might be glorified. Can I get the glory from your life? Could you live in such a way that people would see me through you and, and they would glorify me? They would do your good deeds in such a way that men would see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. God wants to be glorified through our lives. We can't be glorified if we're taking folks to court, sleeping with people we shouldn't be with, living in sin and immorality, walking around drunk in a stupor. You know, he can't get the glory there. God said, I want you to, you know, we, we put all that stuff down. I've told you all the stuff don't do. But God said, this is why I want to be I want to shine through your life. And so I would encourage all of us here that even this week, you would take a look at your life. What are your focus? What's your goal in life? The things that you do and just, God, what, how much of what I do glorifies you? How much of what I do from day to day 
Um, it's something that will glorify you. Does my behavior at work glorify you? Do my conversations with my friends glorify you? The way I treat my kids glorify you? The way I behave among my neighbors? Just look at your whole life. Does it glorify him? And as the Holy Spirit shows you where you can make adjustments, you make them. That God might be glorified through our lives. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This book addresses the idea of confronting sin. Paul knew it was more important to hit the issue head on rather than skirt around it for the sake of being approved of by the majority. This is a hard thing to do when you know that tough issues will cause disruption in a church or even a breach in relationship. But what matters most, pleasing God or pleasing man? It's something to keep in mind as you continue to study this New Testament book. Can we encourage you as you strive to walk out a life of faith, even when it's unpopular? Call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. We'd love to meet you. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You can even find links to stream our services if you're not able to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and may be hearing about Jesus for the first time? Pray that their hearts will be open to truth and change. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.